Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. My name is not Jonathan Ellsworth, nor is it Carol Williard, nor is it Kristen Sinat. My name is Luke Kappa. I am the managing editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, I'm talking with Jonathan Audet, one of the co-founders of Ferial Skis, which is based out of Quebec. Um, despite being relatively new to the market, Ferial is doing a whole lot more than simply making skis, though that alone is far from simple. But from the get-go, they've prioritized doing things differently, things that we don't really see from smaller brands, if at all. They started with sustainability as one of their core tenets, even backing it up with an in-depth life cycle analysis report. But they also didn't feel like letting conventional ski construction hold them back from doing what they wanted. So over just a few years, that's led to them rethinking and attempting to improve things as fundamental to ski construction as the use of fiberglass and tetanol metal to creating their own ski and material testing lab. And they're not just keeping that to themselves, instead opting to collaborate with other brands in the industry in order to move things forward at a greater scale. It is seriously impressive, and I know anyone listening to Gear 30 will want to know what they've been up to. So in this conversation, I talked to Jonathan about all of that. And of course, we also cover the origins of the brands, the models in their 23-24 ski lineup. He teases some future projects they're working on and more. Now, despite the fact that I'm currently eagerly awaiting for all the snow to melt here in the Crested Butte Valley, many of us at Blister are still very focused on the upcoming ski and snowboard season. And by that, I mean we're working very hard on our 23-24 Winter Buyer's Guide, which is now available to pre-order on our site. Our 23-24 Winter Buyer's Guide is by far our biggest guide ever, and also, in my humble opinion, the best guide out there. It's got more than 300 skis, 70 ski boots, plus plenty of snowboards, splitboards, touring bindings, climbing skins, helmets, goggles, apparel, and more. But what makes our guide stand out even more is what you will not find in it. Because unlike most other gear guides, there are zero advertisements from any of the companies we review. So you aren't getting any paid for reviews or regurgitated marketing copy. Just as always, our honest opinion after many days of testing each product. You can now pre-order the print and digital editions of the 2324 guide, and by doing so, you'll get it at the best possible price. You can order the print edition and get the digital edition at no extra cost or go digital only. Of course, the super smart move is to become a Blister member or a Blister Plus member, which gets you the guide and a whole lot more. As always, we will provide links to the guide and our memberships in the show notes of this episode. So head there or to our site to get the guide at a great price and be the first to receive your copy this fall. With that, let's get to my conversation with Ferial Skis, Jonathan Audet. All right. Well, I am here with Jonathan Audet of Ferial Skis out of Quebec. Um, and today we're going to get kind of the rundown on the company, how you guys started it, how it's come to be what it is today, and a lot of the really interesting innovations that you guys are working on that I feel like is, is somewhat rare from a, 
uh, a relatively new company. Um, but for starters, uh, could you first just give us a background on you? Uh, what's your backstory and how did you get uh, kind of work your way into the ski industry? Yes, of course. But uh, first of all, thanks, uh, Luke, for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here today and to talk about uh, uh, our ski company. So, so yeah, in fact, I'm one of the three co-founders of the business. Uh, and the two other co-founders, in fact, I, I, I met them uh, during our study in mechanical engineering at university. And, and there we've noticed that we all have the same passion for entrepreneurship, for mechanical engineering, but of course for skiing. So that was something very nice because we were very motivated to do like to have a business project. And on top of that, like on our, we all had some personal projects related to skis when we were younger. Like for example, Etienne, which is in charge of all prototyping, technical stuff in the business already built uh, his home ski press in his parents' garage when he was young. Felix, which is in charge of all uh, administration and uh, financial stuff, uh, already built his home chairlift in his backyard. And myself with my brother, we already built our own snow gun to produce some snow in our backyard. So that was a pretty funny fact, in fact. So what's cool about it is that we have a very complementary team and we share different uh, skill sets with uh, create a perfect team to, to launch a, a ski business. Gotcha. Yeah. It seems like the, between the three of you and, and university, you could have opened your own ski hill and had your own rental fleet of homemade skis and <laughs> had it all going together. So then, so you meet in university and how you have these shared interests how does that turn into starting a ski company in particular? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And in fact, it's mostly because I'm, I've worked for about 10 years in the ski industry while I did different things. I, I, I was technician, salesman, manager of a ski retailer and also a buyer of uh, the ski shop. So while uh, working uh, in that role, I, I have noticed two blind spots, in fact, uh, between what customers or what skiers were looking for and uh, with what the ski industry was offering. So it's by spotting and uh, to develop solutions to, to fill those two blind spots that first create the business model behind Ferriot. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just dive right in? What were those kind of blind spots that you identified? Yeah, so uh, the, the first one was uh, very in terms of like on snow feelings, like, um, you know, in, in Quebec, but like pretty much everywhere on East Coast, we have very specific and tough snow and terrain conditions, like mountains are smaller, uh, trees are tight, we have ice, we have wet snow, wind packed snow. So skiers were looking for some more, you know, playful and versatile skis that are suitable in a variety of snow and terrain conditions. So not only a ski that is doing only one job, but a ski that can go in many conditions and with the, the property of being very playful. So that is why, for example, all of our ski model have short turning radius for the width. It's one of the things that... Mm -hmm all of our models have and the 
second blind spot uh, at that moment was about the uh, sustainability. Like uh, mm-hmm. when we started in like 2019, like almost no ski manufacturers were uh, putting some importance about uh, like started starting some R&D project to lower the carbon footprint of their products. But for us, it was very important to do it. So by doing those two blind spots, that's why I think we managed to create a very nice community around us very quickly. And that right now our community and our customers are now our best salesmen on the field. Gotcha. Yeah, on the sustainability front, if people go to uh, your website, they can find a lifecycle analysis report, which I feel like typically we we don't we we see that from certain large players, and just recently I feel like that started happening. But it, given that it was like a founding uh, principle for you all, was there anything um, when you underwent that? Were there any? kind of surprising or most interesting takeaways when you're looking at the environmental impact of making skis? Yeah, of course. Uh, In in fact, a big part of it was um, the end of life of the skis that was Mm -hmm. uh, having them... a big impact on the environment. So uh, at that time, like three years ago, we know that we uh, they want to do something about it. But then we were like, okay, what can we do in short short terms to things better that it, it won't be perfect because it's always possible to improve, you know, but while going step by step and doing things better and better, maybe at the time we will be able to uh, to find some solutions with the end of life. So one of the first thing we we did, like of course, all of our skills are designed in manufacture in, in Quebec with uh, uh, local materials such as wood, and they are produced with hydroelectricity. So only that is a very nice point. But after that, we noticed that. Um, the composites, so the fibers, uh, also have a, a, a big uh, contribution to the environmental impact. So, like, I would say that uh, even if it was the first year of uh, Ferriol, we started a R&D project to substitute carbon and flax fiber in our skis. And our choice was to use flax fiber instead. So, you know, some ski manufacturers uh, already use flax fiber to uh, whip carbon fiber for their damping properties. But in our mm-hmm. case, we choose flax fiber to replace almost off the, the carbon fiber and all the fiberglass. And we're proud that we uh, are officially launching our new model, the Surfer uh, 112, which is, will be the first model that will be using uh, this skis construction. And based on our life cycle analysis, it will be one of the more most eco-friendly ski in the world. So we are very proud of, uh, about it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, um, we've actually been uh, spending time on the Surfer 112 recently. Um, I feel like one of the most notif- not- notable traits of, of that ski is it's kind of damp or smooth or. Uh, we, we like to use the term suspension. It has nice suspension for how light it weighs. Um, and I was curious when I first heard about the not only using flax, but using it to replace the traditional laminate fibers like carbon and fiberglass. Um, during your research, is there 
did you identify reasons why other brands hadn't already done that? I imagine it's probably like the ski industry. We, we, people all use almost the same materials and I'm guessing it's a, maybe a cost thing or a ease of use thing. But, um, what was that process like while yeah. you guys were prototyping, completely swapping out the synthetic fibers in for flax? Yeah, in fact, I think this is where it's interesting that uh, in our team, we have a very nice now expertise in ski engineering, mechanical engineering. Like, you know, right now I'm just finishing my master degree uh, in mechanical engineering at uh, Sherbrooke University, where I studied uh, alpine ski on snow feelings. Uh, we have also in the team, uh, Philip, which has uh, done his uh, master degree at Sherbrooke University too, uh, where he, uh, he has studied uh, the vibration and dynamics of alpine skis, things like that. So uh, our design process, I would say, is maybe a bit different from other ski manufacturers because we have uh, like that academic background and all the, the process of engineering behind that we already know pretty well what we are uh, going to do and how it's going to feel uh, on snow uh, after that. So based on that, like, um, of course, one of the main objectives behind the surfer is that we can't do any compromise on, on snow performance because even if it's more eco-friendly, like if there's any compromise to do there, nobody is going to buy it. So uh, in our case, one thing in that we are, are doing in lab to to uh, to measure some differences or not is that we are using uh, the Sutsuki measuring machine, like you know, to ensure that we have the right profiles of bending stiffness, torsional stiffness, mass. We have also have some um, calculation about the carbon footprint, the mass distributions, all this kind of stuff. So we are able to create two different ski constructions, but that in theory, they are going to ski the same way because the geometry is the same, the, the mass is the same, the, the, the stiffnesses profiles uh, are the same. So after that, the only thing that can be different with those two construction will be the vibration mode and something is called cool with phil's researches is that he found that um mold uh, vibration modes in skis are, are couple so in both bending and torsional <clears throat> so uh we, we go deeper in that way and so so um it while doing all that, we had a very nice idea how it's going to perform on snow. And after that, the other important thing was the durability. Because, mm. you know, we are introducing a new material uh, in, in a new way to do it in uh, our skis. So, for example, we also developed in-house uh, in our innovation lab uh, a fatigue machine that we can simulate ski season uh, in the ski. So, it's very useful when... Uh, it comes the time to compare two different ski constructions. Like, because mm -hmm. in the literature, there's not that, a lot of information about what are the load cases that break a ski, uh, how many times, how much time it is supposed to last, things like that. But we are, with this machine, we are building our own references and it is useful uh, to compare new ski constructions, uh, such as the fiber uh, Flex fiber construction, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense because, like, in addition to performance traits, it seems like fiberglass is used uh, as a key structural layer in key con- in ski construction. Um, so to swap it out uh, completely is really interesting to me. Um, for someone who is not um, as familiar with ski construction, how would you, based on the lab testing you guys have done, how would you compare the performance attributes of, say, flax, fiberglass, and carbon fiber? Mm, the, the, like we, we built some surfer with the normal, normal construction. Uh, after that, we have developed the, the same ski, but with the, the flax construction. And the only main thing that we are able to f- maybe feel a bit on snow because uh, nobody have the same uh, sensitivity on snow with different things, but it was on, on damping, suspension damping. Because mm-hmm. for all the rest, like uh, our skis and the surfer have very nice stability, even at a high speed for different uh, edge angles. Uh, and it's very easy like to initiate a turn even at low speed, which is important in our kind of conditions we have here. So like all the key features and the key on snow feelings were absolutely there for both skis. And, but in terms of, uh, damping, this is where we can, uh, see, uh, its friends and of course on carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, so most of Ferial's skis are, um, a bit on the, like looking at the whole market, a bit on the lighter side, they're designed at least in part with, um, some backcountry touring in mind. Um, the, so with the goal, the, with the switch to flax, uh, I assume weight was at least uh, one consideration you were thinking about. Are these an equivalent usage? Is a uh, the fully flax ski going to be kind of like a in terms of weight, like a fiberglass ski or like a full carbon ski or somewhere in the middle? How are you guys thinking about uh, balancing weight when like working on that? Yeah, so like when we simply look at the flax fiber properties, like. Uh, rule of thumb, like it's uh, between carbon and glass, but uh, more okay. close to to glass. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but with the price of carbon, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, you know, in uh, the way we we think our skis and design our skis, we know that uh, mass play a key role in the way a ski is going to perform uh, on snow. So we don't want to design skis that are going to be ultralight skis because we, in a certain way, we want mass. So we just simply need to find like the sweet spot where it's light enough, but we still have a very nice on snow feeling and the scalability of the skis is still uh, awesome there. So, uh, and all of our skis, we have the same mindset when we are designing uh, designing it. Yeah. Gotcha. I think I think we're gonna loop back later on in terms of uh, the work you all are doing on materials. Um, but for now, why don't we just dive into the current ferial lineup? Um, we've uh, maybe we start with the newest ski, the the Surfer One Twelve, and work our way down. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. So uh, the Surfer uh, One Twelve is our new model that we are launching this year. And that will be our 
wide ski because before that's the surfer it was our pioneer 104 that was our wide ski so we had some customers that already had a, a pioneer or a, an explode that and those skiers wanted to have a more wide skis for more the powder day but again uh, our mindset behind it was okay we are going to design a ski that is like 112 underfoot but we still want we, we want skiers that they they feel a ski underfoot that is narrower than 112 mm-hmm. so all the ski is uh, designed uh, with with that in mind so like i was talking earlier about the short turning ridges like if we are looking uh on the 184 uh, centimeter uh, it has a 17 uh, meter ridges which is very short uh, for the width and the length of the ski. After that, uh, rockers, for example, are well balanced to uh, to a, a little um, a nice like uh, to to be able to float well on powder. But to ensure that when if you have to bring it like on firmer snow, which is not the ideal, but that you still have a lot of fun uh, skiing uh, skiing it like. Because again, uh, here on East Coast, we have the conditions can vary vary a lot within a day and within a run, and the, the same principles can apply also uh, like in Western Canada, Western US. Because in one run, you can like ski powder in the first third, the second third, you can ski through the trees, and after that, a little bit of, on of groom to go back to the chairlift. So, like uh, that's why we wanted to have a a 112 that don't uh, doesn't feel 112 underfoot. We we started spending time on it kind of in the springtime here, which meant a little bit of everything, but including a lot of kind of firmer snow and variable conditions. And kind of one thing that surprised me with both the Surfer and the Pioneer is that yeah, despite their tighter side cut radii, like you can tight or carve tight turns on them, and they are quick to get on edge, but at the same time they don't exhibit that kind of like hooky feeling um that some similarly tight radius skis do um once you start making bigger turns so yeah so far it is uh it's very much fitting the description that you uh that you laid out and that is also as you mentioned before the the first ski you're releasing with uh the full flax uh, non-fiberglass construction yeah exactly and uh, and of course the that we also like the name of the ski, which is surfer, because like, in fact, on snow, the ski is very surfy, like it's easy to pivot. Mm-hmm. You can uh, like a, a slash there, a small turn there, a longer turn there. It's very like uh, polyvalent at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely appreciated it when we, we ended up in some like really funky, like thawed mashed potato-y hot <laughs> pow and it was it was great for that because otherwise my knees would have been getting torqued all over the place um so that's the the newest and widest ski um uh, you mentioned earlier the pioneer um am i correct in saying that was the first ski you all launched exactly yeah so remember when i i talked about the two blind spots and i designed a ski to f- like to uh find solutions to those two blind spots this was the ski i had in mind this was the first Mm -hmm. ski i designed uh, to put on market so uh, most of the time this is like a a backcountry touring skis but that is highly versatile so uh, most of our uh, our customers 
when they are bringing a, a pair of Pioneer, they will have only one pair of Touring Ski. Like, mm -hmm. for example, in Quebec, they are, they're going to have um, like a, a Carving Skis and then maybe a Pioneer 104. Uh, because even if you bring the pioneer on ice, which is, it's not designed to go on ice, but even if you do it, because <laughs> this is the, the only conditions you have on, on that day, uh, it, it, there, there won't be any problems with that. And for example, our customers that, uh, want to do a ski trip, whatever they want to go, they only need to put one, uh, one pair of skin, their ski bag and, uh, the pioneer 104 will fit pretty well, uh, with that um, gotcha. but we put something particular uh on the pioneer which is uh pretty rare i would say in the ski industry uh, which is uh, the three points uh camber we have so you know when we press uh when we put back this the two skis together and we push under the boot center we can see two gaps uh on each side of the boot center so it kind of creates three uh, high pressure zone uh, that maximize the edge grip uh, on firmer snow. But mm. uh, that camber also uh, allows skiers to uh, to be still very playful and easy to pivot. So, so you know, like it's the same idea be uh, behind all the models. We always want them to be easy to pivot, easy to ski, initiate a turn at low speed, but that we can still have some great stability even at high speed so that's why on the pioneer we we wanted and needed to put that kind of camber on it gotcha uh when you were first working on that did that three point camber present any unforeseen challenges when it came to pressing the skis i imagine it's at least more complicated than yeah. the, the standard route yeah, it is but the what is funny about that is that the first time we have tested uh, a three points camber was uh, a prototyping mistake of uh, balancing the temperature in the ski press uh, <laughs> and so and uh, and something with the, the molds also so we we looked at that prototype and were like okay that that was not supposed to be that <laughs> way but we decided to try it because uh, uh, just for fun and we were like oh boy okay wow that's impressive uh, how much edge grip this ski have and but Mm -hmm. it, it has a lot of edge grid, but it's still very playful. That was very impressive. So we, we then started to go much, much deeper into why the ski was acting like this and to, to get a better control, uh, about that kind of camber. Gotcha. Uh, and then in terms of, uh, construction on the pioneer, we, we went deep on, on the new flax materials, but um, what, what sort of materials are you utilizing with the pioneer? Yeah. So right now we have a poplar, uh, wood core and, and on, on both sides, we still have some uh, glass fiber as well as, uh, a full length, uh, carbon fiber, uh, on the, on the top of all that. So like, you know, the, the way we design our skis, like I'm, I'm not deciding at first, okay, let's, let's create a ski that has carbon fiber in it. It's not the way I design. I first design what are the main on snow feelings I want the skiers to feel while skiing. So with all the background, uh, with my master degree, uh, degree with uh, Suski and Sherbrooke University, I can then say, okay, if I want those feelings, 
I now need those uh, geometrical properties. I need those mechanical properties. So I quickly kind of design a first uh, hold ski that then I'm like, okay, if I want to reach that bending stiffness, that torsional stiffness, that mass, here is the selection of materials that I need to do to achieve that goal. So, of course, there's other considerations around it, such as sustainability, durability, things like that. But this is the how uh, we finish, for example, in the Pioneer with like uh, poplar wood core, glass, and carbon fiber construction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, and then how about we move down a bit narrower to the Explo? Yeah. So after that, like uh, after our first year, the sales were very good. Feedbacks around the Pioneer was very good too. So it was like a green light to continue our uh, entrepreneurship adventure with that. And skiers were then actively looking for some, uh, yes, alpine touring skis, but uh, most suitable uh, to be used in resorts. Because again, here on the East Coast, many skiers are doing touring uh, in resorts. So for example, <laughs> they are going to, to climb up the Mont Saint-Anne and after that, just going down directly in the resort. So they needed a ski that has more edge grip, that has better stability at high speed uh, and, and things like that. But again, with all the playfulness that we always want around our skis. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, does the, so does the Explo share, would you say it, it, it's a lot like a narrower Pioneer or Not really how different versus similar? Really, I, I really started from a new geometry completely uh, for that mm-hmm. piece. But the, the construction is similar, but different. Like uh, one of the best way to uh, add edge grip to a ski is to add torsional stiffness in it. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you compare the Explo to the Pioneer, the Explo have an additional layer of carbon fiber, which is bidirectional, but plus minus 45 degrees. So by adding that layer in the ski, we automatically uh, increase uh, the torsional stiffness uh, of the ski. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Firmer conditions, more edge hold. Um, and that is that also utilizing a uh, similar three-point camber uh, rocker profile? Yeah, we have the same kind of three-point cambers, but uh, it is uh, smaller if we want. So the, the the camber is not that high, but we still have the three-point camber on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then uh, to round out the line, I feel like the last ski is a bit of a, maybe an outlier compared to the others, uh, yeah. a bit different. Can you run us through that one? <laughs> yeah, of course. In fact, it's a little bit linked to my background because I did many uh, slope style competitions and provincial and Canadian competitions. And after that, I always wanted to have my own free rides, freestyle, slope style ski, but Mm -hmm. the the way I see it. So that's why I I designed it at first, that ski model that was for my like own purpose, but Mm -hmm. the design idea behind it was, okay, I want to, I want a free ride ski. In fact, that I want to be able to, to ride the mountain everywhere in any conditions, but I, I still want with that ski to be able to go in the park and to do some rails and to do some big airs and things like that. So I create 
I created the shape with the free ride mindset in mind uh, and like the versatility in mind. But like I, I we've put on it uh, thicker edges, thicker base. Like it's like very difficult to break that kind of ski. <laughs> so uh, uh, I so I, I we pr- prototyped these keys. I and after that we we noticed that some. Uh, our own customers wanted that ski uh, also. And it's not like touring oriented that much because like, for example, the mass is not really a consideration if that kind of model, but like it was a good business model when just talking to that ski because a uh, customer wanted to have some ski like that. So what's interesting right now is that uh, we we've got very great comments and feedbacks around it and like even if the ski is still like uh very suitable for park like most of our customers are with that ski are like between 40 and 60 years old because (laughs) you know the, the ski is very able to to go everywhere and it's impressive for a twin sip how much uh edge grip and edge hold it it has Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, Quebec, in addition to having some uh, pretty cool uh, touring up in the mountains, a lot of uh, really solid freestyle skiers have, have come out of that area. So um, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the Zigzag 92, correct? Exactly. And and after that, the uh, 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 we have a, a new ski model that we're launching next year that is, it's not yet on our website, but we are launching an Explo 86 because uh, mm. we have a lot of demands with that kind of skis. Again, based with the same geometries on the Explo 96, the same construction, but everything is tuned uh, with the camber, the rockers, and the stiffnesses to be more stable because on firm snow, if we want. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Kind of expanding more and more into more particular um, types and conditions for skiing. Um with that said, uh, I do want to talk about um, your innovation lab and some of the projects you've been working on there. Um, right before we started this, you mentioned that there have been um, it's been picking up a lot of steam recently. Um, but could you give us first the the backstory of how because you started as a ski company, but then it seems to kind of have branched out over time. Um, could you give us uh, kind of the history on that? Yeah, of course. Uh, in fact, uh, first thing we you need to do is to know is that we we own our own innovation lab uh, in Mont Saint mm-hmm. where we design and prototype all of our skis. And in contrary of what we can think, like it's pretty rare that a small company like us own is uh, own development labs. Like for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our production skis are made in Utopia factory, which is four hours drive from where we are. Like the quality mm-hmm. of, the, of the skis that are produced there are very amazing. And that factory is, of course, producing skis for other uh, North American brands. But uh, from all his customers, we are the only brand that is prototyping uh, is home skis with our own innovation lab. So with that, we 
we build a very deep uh, expertise in ski engineering, mechanical engineering. So after that, we we began to uh, build our own test benches. Uh, we worked closely with uh, Suski and Sherbrooke University for that. After that, uh, we then began to do some ski engineering for other ski manufacturers. So we began to build some prototypes for other ski brands. Uh, okay. After that, we also do some like uh, engineering services, for example, to analyze the durability of of uh, of the skis of uh, another brand. You know, while operating as a ski manufacturer, we noticed many challenges that we were having, but that all ski manufacturers were also having. And one example of that uh, are all the challenges that are related to the use of the titanol. Mm-hmm. Like I think most of ski manufacturers uh, have some issues with sourcing. Uh, uh, even if the mechanical properties of titanol is pretty high for aluminum, uh, it is still uh, not, of no, not enough in some cases to explore some new kind of ski designs because uh, if you, we don't want to go at the limit of the materials. And after that, they have some uh, concerns and challenges with bonding and after that, many other things. So... Uh, with that in mind, we we decided to to uh, to go deeper uh, in that direction. With hmm, maybe we can like develop our own aluminum alloy, and <laughs> it, it fits also with another thing that uh, another R and D project that we have right now in partnership with Sherbrooke University, where there's a, a team of uh, students in master and PhD that are developing for us skis that are going to be recyclable at the end of life. But to do that, we need to favorize the use of aluminum. So having an aluminum that is better than titanol will be very useful to broaden the design space of skis. So that's exactly what we've done. So we developed our own aluminum alloy, uh, which is around 25% more resistant than uh, the current aluminum that are used in skis because, like you know, the, the titanol is the only aluminum that is suitable in skis since like 40 years. So mm-hmm. ski manufacturers only have one uh, supplier that they, they they can buy uh, their aluminum. So something is cool with uh, our aluminum, uh, with the high resistant aluminum. In fact, is that now we can explore many kind of design and it kind of broaden the design space. Like I said, like for example, typically like many ski manufacturers are are using sheets of 0.5 millimeters. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we imagine uh, a ski construction that have one sheet of 0.5 each side of the wood core, and after that you take that same same construction, but you replace the 0.5 uh, millimeter thickness sheets by our alloy, which is the same uh, stiffness, same density, but more resistant. Uh, you can put the, the the sheets thinner. So if you want to reach the same uh, bending stiffness, you simply need to put the wood core thicker. So on one side, 
uh, a wood core with two sheet of 0.5 on the other side a, a thicker wood core with two sheet of 0.3 of our alloy and with simply doing that substitution it creates a mass reduction of about 12 percent and a carbon footprint reduction of about 14 percent hmm. interesting um and so uh by resistant um what uh what kind of characteristics are you talking about that like the a lot of brands use tetanol right now um, for various things, but what were you primarily kind of testing your alloy versus tetanol for? Yeah, so the, the fact that uh, it it is more resistant, the, the, the thing it does is that we can... Uh, we can bend the uh, the sheet very much without creating a permanent deformation. Got it. Okay. So by doing so, that is why we can put some thinner sheets, for example, because all the the load go through that going that through that layer of sheet, so the alloy will be able to take it because it, because it is more resistant. And like I said, we, we can now explore some new kind of ski designs uh, with that kind of sheets. Uh, we, are, we can also produce the same thicknesses as uh, what ski manufacturers are used to because, um, because it is the same stiffness, the same density. Like, you know, you can swap a sheet of titanol with a sheet of our alloy uh, without creating any uh, unsnow differences. And to give you an idea about how uh, how much interesting uh, it, it is in kind of innovation is is that like we did many um, many trips during the last year to meet the decision makers of ski manufacturers, and mm-hmm. all of them like for real, all of them of the biggest names in the ski industry, they all signed intention letters to have access as soon as it is available our uh, aluminum alloy so we are presently working to uh, produce at high volume the that kind of uh, alloy and we also started some cool developments with some ski manufacturers also so we already built some prototypes with them with our own material so this is very interesting and but by that time, we also continued to uh, optimize the mechanical properties of our alloy. And something that is very cool is that this week uh, we are submitting uh, our patent on that alloy. And oh, cool. we're officially going to be the most resistant aluminum alloy commercially, commercially available around the world. Wow. Like, huh. So you guys have gone from at first small ski company to uh, materials uh, manufacturer now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And something that is nice is that it's not only uh, in the ski, but it can have many applications in many other fields. So of course, we're going to start with the ski industry because like we know pretty well that industry and we, the ski industry, we don't need any like uh, norms or certification to put on market that kind of alloy when compared, for example, to uh, aeronautics and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, just after that, we also talk with many manufacturers of other sport equipments, for example, uh, ski touring bindings, ski poles, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, I'm super excited to um, 
kind of stay up to date on that. Um, I know it's a very exciting project for you and for the rest of the industry. Yeah, like talking at the summit this past year with the folks from DPS and and others who were um, working with you guys. And it's it's also just cool to see some collaboration because um, I feel like I'll, a lot yeah. of the times it's competition and we won't tell you what we're working on and we're all trying to do something different. But uh, yeah, it's exciting because it is kind of ridiculous that Tetanol has had that just it's been the only option yeah. uh, for so long. And it's it's cool to see some new options arise. Of course. And I, I very think that uh, the collaboration between all ski manufacturers is very, uh, very nice because like all together, I think we can create many, many nice things. And the other thing that is very cool with that uh, in our point of view is that like, of course, that alloy will also be one of the most sustainable uh, aluminum alloy in the world because, like, it's built with all the aluminum uh, ecosystem we have uh, in Quebec. We have many key partners around us that all are helping us with that. But, like, when we go w- one year before, like, when you think about that, like, okay, we we created and developed some solutions and an alloy for at first our own purpose okay but and we we are proud to do skis that are more sustainable but when you talk about it in all the ski industry we are still a small ski manufacturer so our positive impact that we have around us is still quite small even if we are doing a lot of uh, efforts through that direction mm-hmm. But the fact now that we can sell our sustainable solutions to all ski manufacturers, we now have the possibility to reach like around 4 million pairs of skis. So the, it, like, of course, it increases the positive impact that we can have on the environment if altogether we lower the carbon footprint of the ski industry, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That sense of scale um, is a huge factor. Um, in terms of the uh, sustainability aspect of the new alloy, how does it differ um, between the existing Tetanol alloy? Yeah. Uh, right now, we are uh, we are still working on uh, the quantification on the of the um, the, the right equivalent CO two uh, of that alloy. But mm-hmm. Uh, all the preliminary uh, like evaluations points that uh, it's going to be uh, better, but uh, the, there is of course all the manufacturing process and the, um, the, the sourcing of the, the alloy itself. But uh, another big difference that we have is uh, about the surface treatment that we apply on the alloy on the sheets for the bonding, like you know. Uh, on titanol, it's phosphoric anodization, which is very, very, very bad <laughs> for the environment. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a good way to bond aluminum sheets with other materials. So we, at the same time, we also developed our own surface treatment, which is very uh, sustainable, human safe, easy to use, and that has uh, a long uh, shelf time. Gotcha. So this is another positive impact we have for bonding aluminum. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know that's a a major factor that um, I've talked to a handful of people, especially when they first started using 
uh, aluminum in skis, like it won't stick to anything. <laughs> yeah. The two main pri priorities for ski manufacturers with our alloy are one, on snow feelings. Is it the same or not? No, the answer is yes. After that, mm -hmm. is, it, is it going to delaminate or it's going to be durable? And now we know that the answer is durable. So uh, this is the two main things that ski manufacturers first wanted to know. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, on the uh, testing front, um, in particular, the dur durability tests you guys are running, um, you don't have to name any names or anything, but was there, did you have any like surprising takeaways while you were running all these different skis uh, through your durability testing uh, processes? Yeah, uh, something I think that can be interesting is that like one of the first tests we have did with our skis, like we we go through uh, like more than uh, 100,000 cycles on the machine just to know what are the first things that are going to break on the skis because like uh, mm -hmm. there is no scientific documentation uh, around that. So one of the first thing with small, small displacement, so small like deflection, but a lot of cycles. And with that, uh, the first thing that we've noticed uh, was that uh, the edges cracked. And mm -hmm. like, you know, when we uh, evaluate uh, like with our uh, applications that we've built in house, the um bending stiffness of our skis like the the contribution of ski edges can be around 15 percent. it always depends but roughly it can be there and once an edge crack uh, we can saw a, a measurement difference uh, of the bending stiffness and difference of with the camber and things like that so the way we do it is that we have uh, next to each other our fatigue machine and our suit ski machine uh, to measure the properties of the skis. So we do some cycles, we measure, we cycle, we measure, we cycle, we measure. So we can really uh, see wh what are the uh, evolutions of the physical properties uh, of the ski. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. And I figure uh, any any park skier is, is well aware of how uh, quickly edges can break. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, and uh, another thing that is, that is cool that we are using with all the the, the fatigue machine, the suski machine, when we are designing skis, is that we also build our own uh, app that we call ski designer so something that is very cool now that we can do is that directly from the 3d models we can now run some dynamics simulations to predict some uh, metrics of performance so for example we're working on uh, evaluate the pressure distribution to different edge angles and we, are, we can run simulations to analyze the flotation characteristics of a ski, so where where when it's going to dip in the snow and when it's going to like to float on the snow, so it's very useful uh, within the like the, the design process itself without having to to try it on snow to know okay if I put a little bit more rocker there and uh, tweak the stiffness in bending and torsion that way this is going to do uh, that difference. Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. many other dynamic simulations that allow us to compare quickly 
and efficiently uh, different important thing in ski design. Yeah. Do you anticipate, um, or at least right now, working in that in the early stages? Um, did you notice any trial and error? Like, oh, I ran this through um, this data analysis, and it said it was going to do X, but then I created a prototype got it on snow and it did this different thing or or how how is that kind of factored into your prototyping process yeah. now so of course it can uh, happen it it uh, it has happened because like we are still learning well while doing all of that and if we noticed a difference between what uh, our simulations are singing and what we actually ski on snow we then go deeper okay why we notice that differences it is because uh, something happened when we press the skis is the this is because it's very something that was unexpected so we we learn and after that we what we've learned we put it back in our models so we kind of train in continuous our model like i don't know like uh, ai models but like mm -hmm. we are doing it uh, ourselves yeah uh-huh. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening on, on that front right now. I'm, I'm super, uh, yeah, just excited to keep tabs on what you all get up to. And, um, we've got, it sounds like, uh, our project with Blister Labs has, uh, some similar, similar, but different, um, projects going on as well. And it's, uh, yeah, I feel like skiing and ski design is finally, reaching the the tech age or whatever yeah, you want to call it like something nice that uh philip that is working for us did uh during his master uh at sherbrooke university for example is that he developed a method uh to reproduce the the on snow vibrations that ski are having while skiing so he developed all the instrumentations with uh, uh accelerometers and IMU uh, mm -hmm. on skis and mm -hmm. different ways to do uh, the evaluation of the dynamics behaviors of skis. So after that, he like he, he goes skis with that to get some data. And after that, he is able to show that uh, when you uh, break on ice, uh, you are excited uh, you are exciting the same vibration modes that you are actually uh, exciting when while you are skiing. So that means that he developed a, a test bench that is going on a nice field uh, on a, where we play hockey. So we put the mm -hmm. skin uh, in that with a certain uh, edge angle, and we so the the skis uh, is going pulled that way. And with all the the uh, the instrumentations on the ski, so it kind of fit perfectly what were the excita excitations uh, while going down on the mountain. So that's mean we can now develop things with this ice field uh, in lab conditions, like it's uh. all uh, repeatable. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting. Huh. Because so are you going to have people manage to do that or... correlation with on snow testing and uh, the, that testing on ice is now able to do to have lab conditions to test different things and compare things with different skis. 
Yeah, yeah, because a, a ski resort or any place with snow is is anything but consistent. It has an infinite number of variables. Um, so that's super interesting. So are you, are you guys eventually going to have people like skiing on a hockey rink? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. We have like a wind that is pulling the, the all the setup with the skis on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. Super interesting. For a smaller company, uh, you guys are doing a lot of exciting stuff. Um, I guess to wrap things up, we went over the specific models and we went over how you kind of went about the reasons for why you created Ferial um, with your founders. But um, if you, in terms of people who are interested in the skis, what sort of skiers, locations, skiing styles, are you thinking your skis generally suit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will answer to that, that our typical skier uh, is a, a person that want, want to have a great experience while going on skis and that it's easy. Like it's easy to ski. Like, uh, for example, uh, I got some feedbacks from uh, 70 years old customers that they said that it was so much easier for their knees. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Things like that and typically also we see that uh high hand skis are more advanced expert uh skier skis but you know mm-hmm. our skis are so easy to ski that even an intermediate skiers will be able to use our skis and have some fun with it and will be able to improve uh his skills uh while skiing with our skis and just learn to have m- more and more fun uh, on them and of course yes i i I said a lot that uh, the design idea behind our skis was that they were more suitable for what we see in kind of snow and terrain conditions in east coast because in my point of view they are kind of the weirdest conditions we can have so the fact that a ski is going well in the east coast for me also uh, means that uh, it, it is going to perform pretty well in West, simply in a more playful and versatile way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 the only type of skiers I think we we uh, don't fit pretty well is somebody that is going very very fast and do two three turns only uh, in a single run. You know what I mean. But as soon as mm-hmm. a skier want to do many turns and enjoy it is. Uh, is run with many different turns, many type of conditions and snow, uh, people are gonna like it. So like in, in the last years, we've done pretty well with sales like in, in Quebec, but, uh, since this year, we just, uh, begin to put some energy to commercialize our skis, uh, on the West coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, well, every location has its own particular conditions and terrain. I mean, at least what I can say is that we've tested a handful of them now and we're in Crested Butte and, um, yeah, I mean, we, we also ski a wide range of conditions, maybe not, not as much salt, pure, pure ice, but the skis have been, I mean, it definitely does not feel like I'm on a ski that is designed for some place that I don't ski. Like, yeah, I think the, the versatility, um, is definitely one of the defining traits of the models we've tried. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want to continue with uh, to do with all our uh, ski models. Sweet. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, we are looking forward to spending more time on more Ferial skis next year. 
And uh, yeah, keeping tabs on what you all are doing on the innovation side of things. But thanks for running us all through it today. Thanks again. It was a real pleasure uh, to be here today. Sweet. Thanks. Well, that brings us to our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. And despite the fact that I've been talking and writing and editing and sometimes even dreaming about skiing while prepping our winter buyer's guide, I am super psyched that we are finally getting past mud season and heading right into summer, in part because I can now type about how a ski handles a foot of pow while I'm sitting outside in shorts and a t-shirt, but in particular because I had one of my all-time best days of fishing last weekend, which was especially nice since I've been absolutely sucking at it lately, given how much all the snow we got this winter has now inflated our our creeks and rivers. Uh, But this was a day when it all just clicked, mostly thanks to the advice I got from my far more talented angling friends. Um, But on top of that, I got to share the river with a black bear, which was pretty neat. Uh, It was also a bit unnerving as it checked me out from directly across the river, probably critiquing my casting technique, looking like it might cross at any moment to come give me some tips or something. But it did uh, make me not only appreciate how cool wild animals are from a distance, but also that since I've got Blister Plus and fishing is one of the many activities covered under its corresponding injury insurance, if this encounter had gone sideways, I would have been covered for any uh, related medical bills. Uh, same goes for when I came within about 20 feet of hitting a moose on my mountain bike last year. Uh, thankfully, this particular bear eventually just moseyed on downstream, and I went on to enjoy an incredible day on the water, and I am very much looking forward to many more this year. And with that, I will close out this episode of Gear 30. Thank you to Jonathan for the conversation. Thank you to the remarkably majestic Justin Bob for editing it. And thank you all for listening. As always, take good care of yourselves and everyone else. And we will talk to you again next week. See ya.